Will you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Dear Abba, Heavenly Father, we just come and praise you and give you glory and honor this morning. Lord, we've all walked in here this morning with needs. We've all walked in here this morning with burdens, with worries, with insecurities. Lord, I pray you would touch us where we need to be touched. Bless us where we need to be blessed. And minister to us where we need to be ministered to. Help us truly walk out of here having had an experience with you this morning. We love you. We praise you. Through your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. good morning. Come on, come on, do better than this. Good morning. Good morning. Great. We've sung this morning a song, Shout to the Lord. I'd like us to shout to the Lord. On the count of three, will you in your biggest voice say, praise the Lord. Ready? One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Oh, that sounded wonderful. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I want to talk to you about a word this morning that in its various forms appears over 200 times in the scriptures. It's a word that if you ask 20 different people what it meant, you'd probably get 20 different answers. It's a word that represents something that we all strive to experience. Perhaps sometimes we have experienced it, but other times we probably feel like we're very, very far away from it. And it's a word that I want to talk with you about this morning. And that word is joy. Joy. What comes to your mind when you think of the word joy? When's the last time you believe you've experienced authentic biblical joy that the Bible describes? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to unpack with you in the next few minutes an understanding of what authentic biblical joy is, how we, how we can experience it, and how it differs from worldly happiness and pleasure. It's my prayer that you and I can begin to experience more of this authentic joy, because after all, joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit that's described in Galatians 5.22. I want to read that verse to you in case you're not familiar with it. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. So joy is listed as the second fruit of the Spirit behind love. But before we talk about what authentic biblical joy is, let's talk about what it's not. Authentic biblical joy is not some kind of giddy, superficial, happy emotion that we experience when things are going great for us, when our health is great, when our children behave, when our favorite sports teams wins, or we've just had a great week. Now, there's not necessarily anything wrong with those emotions, but that is not authentic biblical joy. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Some of you may know that I love golf. I love to play golf. I love to talk about it. I love to think about it. When I was 14, I started playing golf. And within three weeks, I was shooting about 100. Not bad for a 14-year-old. Well, 45 years later, after hundreds of rounds of golf, I still shoot about 100. <laughs> I haven't progressed at all. So on those rare occasions when I make a great putt for a birdie or I hit a drive 240 yards down the middle of the fairway, I feel joy. As a matter of fact, I feel so much joy, I pump my fist. Yes, yes, yes. Those who play with me know what I'm talking about. But that feeling of joy lasts for about one minute until I hit my next shot that goes 
way off who knows where. And all of a sudden, that joy is gone. Now, I don't think God minds me doing a joyful fist pump when I make a good golf shot. But again, that joy is about as far away from authentic biblical joy as North Carolina is from California. In other words, authentic biblical joy has nothing to do with the temporary good feeling that living in this world produces. So what is authentic biblical joy? The answer may surprise you, but here it is. Listen close. The biblical definition of joy is an intense longing and desire that's built upon hope. Let me repeat that again. The biblical definition of joy is an intense longing and desire that's built upon hope. The Greek word for joy in the New Testament is chara. Chara. It refers to the delight and joyful emotions that comes from anticipating and hoping that something great is going to happen. In his classic book called Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis describes biblical joy as an unsatisfied desire that is more fulfilling than any other earthly feeling, a longing so intense for something so good and great that it can't be explained in words. Now, I realize that maybe I've lost about half of you with that definition. Maybe you're still trying to wrap your brain around what that means. Well, I didn't really understand it either until I began to study it deeper in Scripture. So let me give you the definition again, and we're going to use some examples to unpack what we mean. The biblical definition of joy is an intense longing and desire that's built upon hope. So grab your Bible or take one from the pew, and we're going to show the verse on the screen of today's scripture. It's found in John chapter 16, verses 16 through 22. John chapter 16, verses 16 through 22. I've asked Mike Jones to come up and read it out loud to us, so please follow along as we read John 16, verses 16 through 22. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Amen. Thank you. So Jesus is talking with his disciples, and in verse 16, 
he predicts his death and resurrection. You will see me no more. Then in a little while, you will see me. The disciples are confused about this because they have not yet come to terms with his impending death on the cross. The disciples still want Jesus to hang around with them a little longer. So Jesus tells them again in verse 20 that they will weep and they will mourn when he dies. The world will be happy to get rid of him. But don't worry, he says, because your grief will turn to joy. Don't miss this point. He's telling the disciples their grief will turn to joy. In order to further explain to maybe the still confused disciples what he means, he uses an example that about half of you in this congregation this morning can relate to, and I'm definitely not part of that half. He talks about a woman giving birth. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets her anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. In other words, a woman's labor pain is tremendous, but that pain is forgotten and replaced with great joy when that child is born. Can you women relate to that? Yes? Okay. Yeah, okay. I can't relate to it, but you all relate to it, right? Okay. Pain turns into joy. Let me give you another example of what we're talking about when you anticipate something great happening and the feeling that you get of anticipating something great happening. We all get choked up watching the scenes from Fort Bragg as family members easily, eagerly anticipate the arrival of their loved ones from long deployments. The longing of these families to see their loved one again is very, very intense. They anticipate, they're hoping, they have joy of seeing that loved one again. And then the sadness that the family members have felt when their loved one has been gone completely vanishes, vanishes when they see him or her approaching them. Don't you love those scenes when they reunite and they, and they hug and they kiss and they cry? Well, that's what Jesus means in verse 22 when he says to the disciples, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. So again, the point is that the disciples' grief when Jesus is put to death will be temporary it will be replaced by the joy of seeing him alive after he raises from the dead. Is this making sense? Are you tracking me on this? I hope you are because we can have that same joy of the anticipation of seeing Jesus in the eternal life. And that is true biblical joy. I'd like to give another example from Scripture of a great biblical figure that experienced authentic biblical joy. I'm going to put a verse up on the screen, John chapter 8, verse 56. Jesus is talking to the skeptical Pharisees about his claim to be the Son of God and the Messiah. And in verse 56, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. In other words, Jesus was saying that Abraham experienced authentic joy because what was the focus of his life? The focus of his life was serving God and anticipating that the coming Messiah would arrive. And that Messiah would bring, bring blessing to all people. Now, of course, Abraham never saw Jesus on the earth. 
But the anticipation of the Messiah was a source of constant joy in his life. But the greatest example of authentic biblical joy is Jesus himself. I want to point out to you an amazing passage in the New Testament. And let's put that up on the screen. It's from Hebrews 12.2. Hebrews 12.2. I'd like us to read this scripture verse together. If you'd be willing to read with me, that would be great. Let's read together. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand at the throne of God. So we fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. But then watch this. It went off the screen, but we'll get it back up again, hopefully. Watch this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him. I want you to get this concept. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. He scorned its shame. But then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What that means is, as he was dying on that cross, enduring incredible pain that we can't even imagine, Jesus was experiencing that chara joy that we've been speaking of. He was anticipating and the longing of his completion of his mission to provide salvation to the world and to be with the Father. In other words, Jesus, even on that cross, could see beyond the temporary pain he was feeling to the joy and exaltation of his victory over sin. He put aside the shame of hanging on that cross to fulfill God's will. I really hope we're getting this point this morning, that Jesus felt this joy and that this anticipation of the fulfillment of his salvation. And therefore, he is our model. He's our model for how we need to forsake the immediate gratifications of this world and focus on our longing for eternal life with him. Remember that the focus and the thirst and this joy we're talking about can never be completely fulfilled on this earth. It will only be fulfilled when we see Jesus in the eternal life. But we can experience this authentic biblical joy while we're living on the earth. And again, we experience it because we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. I want to go back for a few minutes and talk about temporary worldly pleasure and how it doesn't satisfy. The Greek word for pleasure in the Bible is hedona. Hedona. It's where we get our word hedonism from. The pursuit of worldly pleasure, particularly sinful pleasure, never satisfies. It always leaves us short. Some of you may know that I'm a psychotherapist and addictions counselor. One of the things I do at my job is work at the drug, the drug treatment center at the hospital that I work at. I experience on a daily basis seeing the very, very sad stories of those caught up in drug addiction. And these days we have an incredible epidemic of heroin addiction. It's all around us in Sanford and everywhere. I talk to people on that drug addiction program, and they tell me that one of the causes of their addiction was very early in their life, usually around age 12 or 13, they started using drugs to feel pleasure. In other words, there was something missing in their life. So the drugs gave them instant pleasure, instant gratification, joy, in their words, joy. 
In their words, they were getting high. I recently talked to a young female addict who was 24 years old, and she'd been using drugs since age 12. She had two children, but lost custody of them due to her addiction. One day, I walked in and talked with her, and she told me that she was going to do anything she could to get off drugs to try to get her children back. The next day, she left the hospital against medical advice, telling the staff that the urges to get high were just so strong that she had to leave and use again. Now, I want to make it clear, by the time she came into our program, many of her urges to use were biological. That is, her brain was so used to the drugs that some of those urges were involuntarily. But I want you to also realize that her urges to use drugs and get high to the point of being willing to not see her children was caused by a lie she was telling herself. What was that lie that she was telling herself? What's the lie that we sometimes tell ourselves? That the meaning of life is about getting joy and immediate gratification. How tragic it is for anyone to pursue the false joy that immediate worldly pleasure gives, usually through sinful behavior, rather than the authentic joy found in pursuing the things of God in anticipation of our heavenly reward. Now, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about someone who I believe has understood and experiences authentic biblical joy. I want to talk about someone that some of you may have heard of, and in fact, I want to take a little survey here. How many of you have heard of the person called Johnny Erickson Tata? Will you raise your hand if you've heard of Johnny Erickson Tata? Some of you here, okay. For those of you not familiar with Johnny, let me tell you a little bit about her. Johnny was a vibrant, full-of-life teenager when in 1967, at the age of 17, she was paralyzed from the shoulders down in a swimming accident. Became a quadriplegic at age 17. Johnny endured months of torturous rehab after the accident and experienced deep depression, anger, loneliness, and hopelessness. There were many times of physical and emotional pain of being completely helpless and dependent upon others due to her being quadriplegic caused her to lose her will to live and lose her faith in God. She had become a Christian before the, the accident. Then, toward the end of her two-year rehab, desperately trying to find some meaning and purpose in her life, Johnny learned to paint with a brush between her teeth. Her paintings became sought after. She recovered the will to live and rededicated her life to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, 50 years later, she's an internationally known artist, speaker, and the author of 17 books. Two movies have been made about her life. I encourage her to look, to look her up if you'd like to. She's got a fascinating life story. Sometimes Johnny does feel frustrated about being a quadriplegic, and sometimes she wishes she could walk. But she's accepted her condition, and through God's help, she experiences authentic biblical joy. That is, she longs and anticipates for the day that she's going to see Jesus. She, of all people, realizes that life is just a vapor. Our life goes by very quickly. And the meaning of life is to serve God and to look forward to being with him. I recently read a quote from Johnny talking about the anticipation of the day she's going to see Jesus. She says, when I see Jesus, I will have glorified legs. I love that phrase, glorified legs. There are some days I wish I had some glorified hair, but that's a whole other story. So, uh, 
But Johnny says, I'm going to jump up and dance. I'm going to kick. I'm going to do aerobics. I'm going to have so much fun that I can't stand it. Here's Johnny Erickson Tata looking forward to the day that she's going to see Jesus and dance in front of him. See, she's got that charge. She's got that joy of anticipation of the day she's going to see Jesus. I want to show a YouTube video of Johnny Erickson talking about the day that her suffering is going to come to an end. And she also compares herself to the early apostles in the early church who suffered tremendous persecution. So if we can show this YouTube video of Johnny Erickson Tata. The Bible is laced with constant references to the time when our Savior will restore all things and complete the kingdom. And continually, the writers of the New Testament were praying, come, Lord Jesus. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who is thirsty say, come. These suffering saints who wrote these words weren't trying to escape Earth's problems. No, they were happy in their hardships because they knew that heaven would reveal the earth-shaking significance behind each and every tear and affliction. Because now here on Earth is our only opportunity, and every day our small drastic obediences and trusts in Jesus Christ have a direct bearing on our increased capacity for joy and worship and service in heaven. Suffering stretches our soul down here on earth so that we might receive more of heaven's joy when we arrive on that celestial shore. And I'm like the writers of the New Testament. I'm going to liken myself to a soldier watching on the watchtower, a worker hoeing for the harvest, an athlete straining toward the finish line, you and I, we are virgins waiting wide-eyed in the night with lamps trimmed and our hearts afire, expectant and looking and anticipating and scanning the horizon for the arrival of our beloved. For the New Testament writers who suffered and suffered greatly, the world was no party. No, rather they were anticipating the coming party. And we join them in saying, Come, come, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So here is Johnny Erickson Tata. She's been confined to a wheelchair for 50 years. And I've done the math on this. 50 years is about 18,000 days, about 432 hours. So Johnny Erickson Tata has lived 432 hours as a paraplegic, confined to a wheelchair from an earthly point of view that's awful and terrible. But I'd be willing to, to bet that Johnny Erickson Tata has experienced more biblical joy than probably all of us in here. Because she understands the source of joy is looking forward to the day that we're going to see Jesus. Amen? Can I get an amen on that? All right. I don't know about you, but I desperately want to experience more of this authentic biblical joy. I spent time, far too much time pursuing the worldly pleasures of this earth. And I want to get more authentic biblical joy, and I hope you too also want to. I'm going to give you four biblical action points for gaining this authentic joy that we've been talking about. Before I tell you the action points, I want to let you know that authentic biblical joy is not in our power to achieve. 
No, it's not in our power to achieve. It's only through God's grace and goodness that we can experience this. This authentic biblical joy is a result of God's work in us, but we've got to do our part. So I'm going to give you four action points for experiencing authentic biblical joy. And I hope and challenge you to practice these four things. Number one, simply seek God. Seek to spend time with him. Run to him in all things. Psalm 511 says, All who take refuge in the Lord will be glad. Let them ever sing with joy. Joy results in finding refuge in God. So spend time with God. Seek him. And he will be found. Number two, read and soak up God's word. Spend intentional time with the Bible. You know, we make appointments for all kinds of things. We make appointments to watch a TV show. We make appointments to get our hair done. We make appointments to, to call a friend. How about this week, make an appointment to read the Bible. And unless the house is on fire, don't do anything else but read the Bible. That's going to be the time that you're going to set aside. Jeremiah, the great prophet, writes, When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and heart's delight. Now, obviously, he didn't mean literally eating the Bible. But what he meant was taking the Bible in, internalizing it, making it part of his heart, mind, and soul. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when we spend time in the Bible doing that, we feel joy. Number three, participate in kingdom work. We all have gifts given to us by God to use for his glory. We're called to help others in his name. It really is more blessed to, to give than receive. And I would challenge you, if you're sitting here this morning and you're a member of Jonesboro Heights Baptist Church or you call yourself a Christian and you're not involved in the ministry, it's time to get with it. It's time to do something. There's no such thing as an idle Christian that goes to church once an hour on Sunday morning. In between weeks, it's time to serve the Lord. So I challenge you to find a ministry here if you don't have one. I guarantee you that getting involved in the ministry will be a source of joy. And the fourth point, as Johnny Erickson Tata says, see your trials as a means to depend more on God. There can be joy in trials that come from seeing an internal perspective on your difficulties. The joy and anticipation of longing of what God's going to do in your trials no matter how great they seem to be. Now, despite me being a Christian for many years and having some good Christian counseling, I have a confession to make. I still suffer from anxiety. Now, I hide it pretty well, but I still suffer from anxiety. I wish my anxiety would completely go away, and I want to work on continuing to being less anxious. But I've found there's actually one good thing about experiencing anxiety. Do you know that? There's one good thing, at least to me, about experiencing anxiety. That is, my anxiety forces me to realize how much I need to depend on God. He's always available to help me with my anxiety. I don't know if I'll ever completely get rid of anxiety in this life, but I have that chara, that joy and anticipation that when I see him in eternal life, what's going to happen to my anxiety? It's going to completely go away, completely vanish. I look forward to that day. So my challenge to you and to me this morning is to examine ourselves and ask, what do we want more of? What do we want more of? Do we want more of temporary 
earthly pleasures that can never satisfy? Or do you want to experience more of that authentic biblical joy of focusing on God? And remember again, you can never completely have that joy fulfilled on this earth. It will only come when we see him in the eternal life. But I look forward to experiencing more of this authentic biblical joy, and I hope you do too. Now, we've talked this morning about the authentic joy that comes from relationship with God. If you don't have that personal relationship with the living and loving God through Jesus Christ, let this be the day you can start that relationship. You can come to the altar, confess your need for Jesus to save you from your sins and make him Lord of your life. Or if you have any other need, the altar is here for you. We're going to end our time this morning by watching a video. It's a wonderful song based on 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. In that verse, it talks about those who know Jesus can experience unspeakable joy. Unspeakable joy, that joy that you can't describe, but you, you know you're experiencing it because you know you're walking close with Jesus. So I love this song. I encourage you to watch, pay close attention, pay close attention to the lyrics, be blessed by this song. And after the song, we'll have another song that we'll sing, and during that time, Pastor Rich will give the invitation and benediction. So let's watch this YouTube video of this song called Unspeakable Joy. <laughs> 